0: three, two, one. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, Gretchen?
1: I'm fantastic.
0: So I appreciate it. I just, before I started recording, I was just telling you how much I appreciated this. I've had a few guests on. Mm -hmm. They're all important, but I feel like this is like my first official, like somebody.
1: (laughs) I don't know about that.
0: Don't tell (laughs) tell my wife I said that, but because, you know, when I first started this, I'm like, come on, you got to do a podcast with me. She's like, about what? I go, I don't know. And, and it was funny, when, I, when, I, when we started this, you said this is good practice. Yes, you it, know, is. it is people, good practice. People think, oh, it's just chatting. I mean, how hard could that be? But, you know, I tend to make things about me. Sure. And so in the first few ones I did, I was like, God, ah, you tell me you need to just shut up and listen. So I'm trying to learn how to do that and then, you know, not talk over one another. So there is some actual skill involved in these
1: Radio and podcast is a lot harder than television, i found. And that's why I said to you it's good practice for me because I don't – automatically go towards radio or podcasting. It's easy for me on television because it's all the bells and whistles and I have lots of hand gestures and I'm moving very fast and it, it looks impressive. I don't have to sound impressive. It looks impressive what I'm doing. But on radio, you have to sound smart. And sometimes that's a lot harder to be smart on a podcast.
0: Well, and that's why I try to invite smart people. Well, <laughs> so that I can quietly listen while you be smart. <laughs>
1: right. I don't know about that. I'm not so smart this morning, so
0: Well, and somebody Let's asked, set the bar low, shall we? Somebody was just asking me, um, where do they watch these? And I'm like, well, they, <laughs> they're podcasts, podcast. You know, right. I, I upload them to a podcast channel where you listen to them. And uh, one of my favorite persons that does the podcast, uh, a podcast is Joe Rogan. But I've only watched his podcast on YouTube because right. he films it and records it at the same time. Right, and um, I've only watched it. I've never listened to a Joe Rogan podcast. So right. right away, I'm like, well, I want to film these.
1: Well, they do that at uh, Del Marva Public Radio, and I do Del Marva Public Radio. And when I'm on radio, I find that I often talk with my eyes closed because I'm so focused on what's going on internally. And so when they film them and put them on uh, public access television, I'm sitting there just with my eyes closed, talking into a mic. It's really not that interesting.
0: Yeah, but it's um, I get that. I mean, I'll yeah. do that as well. I'll I'll close my eyes and just try to really focus on right. my on my words. But um, I thought, well, maybe I'll just fo- you know let's get um, this figured out. Just recording it, sure. You know, for just the podcasting to listen to. And then maybe I'll think about filming it. But it's a whole... What I like about this, especially... Because I've done several vlogging and and all this stuff. I don't have to do any editing. Right. I just... I upload it. As soon as we're done, I upload it to iTunes and and it's done.
1: And I also like about this that I don't have to worry about how I look and whether I'm wearing makeup and whether my hair has been blown out. I just can show up in my PJs. Well,
0: Well, you look great. (laughs) Uh, And and I will share a quick story how... You know, I own a hair salon and Mm. you are... You attended or uh, visited the hair salon, and I was like, "Oh my god!" So I have that—I have a little bit of luck that I can actually have a few people that I can somewhat, you know, nicely ask if they would mind doing a podcast. But uh, well, it, my
1: best friend Roberta was here, so I came over here to join her, and then we connected, and that was just awesome. I had met Tyla. At Tila. the Tila, sorry. She's great. At the uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade. Oh. And I loved her children. They're just wonderful. And oh, yeah. we had all the puppies there, and we just really connected. So. I,
0: I did get you a nice thing oh, of ice Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And I can get you some tea and coffee as I'm well.
1: totally fine.
0: All right, good. Yeah. Um, so share your, can you share a little of your, your journey?
1: Sure. Um, that's such a big question.
0: <laughs> well, you know, just kind of... So the premise of the podcast is really about... Um, what what got you to Rehoboth sure. or the area sure. and, you know, what keeps you here and, and what is it that we do here. And, you know, and as I said to you the other day, you know, it's really, I love the idea of how one small business can help another small business. Sure. And you, you um, the first time I ever heard uh, when my friend Matt had passed away, you had shared on, I don't know if it was on Facebook, a story of him coming to help you, and I forget what it was. Yeah. Either you didn't pay the bills or you no. got shut off. <laughs> it but was,
1: it he, was our first Memorial Day, and I had just opened in April. And everything that could go wrong went wrong. We hadn't ordered enough food. One of my prep guys didn't show up. It, it just was just a comedy of errors. The electric was down. I mean, it was just one thing after another after another. And I knew Matt. I would known him for about a year at that point, I think. And he said, if I ever needed anything to call him, so I did. And I called him and I said, 911. you know, I actually texted him. I'm like, 9-1-1, I am like 911 i do not know what to do. Who should I call? And he literally showed up in a black SUV three minutes later with a whole carload of guys and this black, big black SUV pulls up in front of my restaurant and all these guys jump out and he's like, what do you need? What do we do? And they just went to work. And within two hours, I was up and running. It was amazing. He fixed everything. He got one of his guys on the slicer. This guy is slicing the lunch meat. Like, I've never seen anyone go that fast. He had another guy working on the stove trying to fix it. We had one of the things was not working where the fire has to come out. It's, those things are complicated. But he had one guy fixing that. He had somebody else working on another system that was broken down. And it was just... I mean, two hours I was up and running. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing.
0: I had a friend once said, you know, when after Matt, Matt had passed away, he said, you know, I, I feel like, and I'm going to leave this guy anonymous.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, he's like, you know, I think I want to pick up where he left off. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's a lot. Sure. because big, big shoes. Yeah, because, you know, when you're sitting at home on the couch at night watching TV, more than likely he's somewhere. Right. Helping somebody or, right. you know, always available. Um you know, I'm not sure those are shoes to fill.
1: He was that guy. He really was. And you can look at what he did with, you know, Sodell and how he did so much for charity. And that is almost an aside. His own person, the way he actually interacted with the world on a one-on-one basis, he was that guy. And, you know, he just, he... Affected everyone in his life. I just lost my biking partner uh, a month and a half ago. Sorry. Yeah, it was really, really hard. Who was also that guy? And I've been lucky in my life to have had several people like that who just positively impact everyone they meet, and they've you know taken me under their wing and, and cared for me and loved me. And you know, it's so hard when those people leave us too early. It really is. But we're so lucky that they were with us as long as they were, yep. and that we had them while we did. And you know, that's how I feel about Matt. That's how I feel about Ray. There's so many people that just wander through life, not really interacting with it. But those people that live it fully, like they did.
0: Well, and, and, you know, Matt, I don't think Matt ever said, I need to fill somebody else's shoes. You know, right. Matt just did what Matt did. You know, he loved to help people. He, he, you know, he loved the conversation. He loved he loved talking about whatever you were passionate about. You know, yeah. more than likely he dabbled in it at some point, you know, because he seemed to have been involved in so much stuff. But, you know, he seemed to know a lot about everything. And um, he loved the conversation and the relationships and, um you just do that.
1: Well, he wasn't about Matt, and I'm using air quotes here. He was about other people. So the first time I actually met Matt, Well, Matt I, was
0: about Matt, too. Yeah, well, he was. <laughs> let's, let's not be silly. <laughs> okay, he was. I love the guy, but, but you know. But
1: he also—he would put his own ego aside, and absolutely, you would not know who he was. Right. First time I met him, I didn't know who he was for several hours. He was asking questions about me, like, you know, like I had a story to tell.
0: He used to crack. He, I cut. I would, he would let me cut his hair every once in a while, and he would mm-hmm. come in and he, I would cut his hair, and he, you know, he'd mess his hands up. But if anybody that knows Matt, he would mess his hair up, and then he, like, pull his hands out real quick, and he'd look <laughs> in the mirror and goes, "Damn, I'm good looking." <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, here you go, Matt. But anyway, I, the, he was he yeah, was he, good looking. <laughs> he was a good looking guy. Um, I'm sorry, your story, your journey.
1: Yeah. So I landed in Rehoboth and. Well, let's let's go back even farther. My grandmother had a beach house here in Rehoboth. It was right the block um, past Fun Land, right where Harry K. Jewelers is. Uh-huh. It was behind that, and it was a house on stilts. And we used to come here every summer when I was a child from Southern California. So on Memorial Day, I would fly across country, unaccompanied minor, with the little orange tag and little patent leather Mary Janes, and fly all the way across the country and land in Dulles, and she would pick us up. In the Woody Station Wagon, we would drive to Rehoboth, and we'd spend our summers in Rehoboth. So I loved Rehoboth. It was my time with my grandmother, which was always the happiest time of my life. And it always held a very, very fond spot in my heart. I came east to go to college and really never left. I, I mean, I left the east coast, but I never went back to the west coast. I would travel around the world. I would cook all over the world. But I always came back to Rehoboth. And most of that was because grandmother was here. I would come to visit her, to see her, spend time with her. And then I'd go off on my adventures and travel and do, you know, crazy, amazing things, wonderful things, and come back to Rehoboth. And in 2008, I had sold a business, a big piece of property, and put the money into the stock market. And I was going to go on a tier sabbatical with my children around the world. So they were at the time, they were eight and two, and we were going to basically live like nomads for two years. And then when I came back, I was going to move back to Rehoboth where I had a beach house, but start over again, you know, just sort of figure out who I wanted to be for the second half of my life. August 2008, I don't know if you remember, but there was a slight financial meltdown Mm -hmm. and literally everything I had was frozen. There was nothing. I mean, it just was like a time bomb. So I couldn't move. I couldn't take my money out of the stock market because I would lose too much. Mm. And everything was tied up and a lot of things were just frozen. You couldn't move them at all. They, you couldn't liquidate anything. So I moved to the house in Rehoboth and waited for things to calm down, which it didn't. Uh, went on for several months. And finally, I said to myself, I'm like, if I don't stop you know, hemorrhaging money right now, I'm not going to have enough to start over. So I pulled everything out and bought a business, bought a space, and opened Hobos about five months later. And that's how I ended up here. So that's, that's a, Rehoboth.
0: Well, you know, I th- I've tried to move away from Rehoboth, mm-hmm. and it's hard, you know, because this place is great, It is a, it's especially, you know, with children.
1: Well, my children, uh, my eldest daughter is just for her first year at Washington College this year. And my youngest daughter has come up through Kids Cottage and Rehoboth Elementary, and now she's a Beacon Middle, and she'll go to Cape Henlopen, and it's so wonderful to go to school with the same kids year after year, and she has a wonderful group of friends. She's so involved in singing and dancing in so many different spaces and, and places, and her life is here. I would never even dream of moving from here until after she got out of high school. I mean, that would just be horrible for her.
0: Yeah. My my little one's going to Rehoboth Elementary. Do they? Um, I actually have a, a little one who's in the little building uh-huh. and an older one who's I in the big was building. I so
1: sad when we moved out of the little building. I cried. Well,
0: but they're tearing both down. I know, I the, know. The, the new school ba- uh, is basically right it. behind it. Yeah, And, uh, you know, my dad used to tell me that he used to play basketball in that gym. Mm-hmm. And he was from Selbyville. He just Mm -hmm. would come down here to play basketball. But I'm like, God, you know, they're tearing it down. I almost want to, I said, Dad, come on, let me get you over there. We'll get you, we'll get David, we'll get Sam, we'll get all the kids under that hoop, right? you know. and uh, One last time. One last time before they tear it down. Um, It will be sad, but. I think they should save the floorboards and do
1: something really fun, you know, because so many people that live here went to that school. There's so many memories there.
0: Oh, my God. I Well, if they don't do something with the floorboards, I'm sure that there's several people that would probably love to have them. Sure. I mean, I've even thought, can I have a brick?
1: Right, exactly. Just one brick. Something like that. So the,
0: we had, if you don't mind, let's talk about restaurants sure. a little bit. You know, there was a restaurant in here. We've had several restaurants. Right. And, um... The latest one was a, it was another kitchen, which which was here and mm-hmm. great, great lady, great story, mm-hmm. great. You know, everything was great, mm-hmm. but it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And at the end, the lady's like, you know, I'm, I'm shutting it down. And I for one small second, I thought I could take it over.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you realize I have a marriage and a life and children. Well, my and that wife, would be a really bad plan.
0: My my wife looks at me and goes, "You know, you see what we're doing right here, sitting <laughs> on the couch. That would be gone. There'd yeah. be no more of that." And and there there was a restaurant that was here when Matt even was still alive. And I remember I told Matt, "I go, I'm going to tell him he needs to do breakfast." He needs to do breakfast and he this is what he needs to do. And Matt looks at me and goes, Oh, have you been in the restaurant business before? And I go, No, and he goes, You should shut the fuck up. I go, oh, Okay. And I went and crawled back into the little rock that I Thanks, Matt. came out from.
1: Um, but it's a tough business. Uh it's brutal. I
0: mean, how many people not you. I'll I'll be I'll be the sample here. Okay. I have made some wicked dinners. Mm -hmm. I love cooking. Sure. Um, I love the nutrition. And and the big reason I wanted to have you on is to talk about nutrition. But um, I love, you know, I love the relationship Uh with food. And um, I think I'm good at it. But, you know, I would order, and you even mentioned in your first story, you didn't order enough food. You know, I would be consumed by the fear of, like, something not being, you know, going out of date or getting, you know, expired or something. How do you, I mean... Just talk about, I mean, what...
1: Well, first of all, let me put this in perspective. I've been cooking professionally since I was 12. I was in the restaurant business at 16. Now, I did go to college and all that other stuff, but I would sneak out at night and cook all night long in restaurants. And I would, anytime I wanted to learn a cuisine, I would go cook in another restaurant. I wanted to learn how to make the perfect matzo balls. I'd go work in a deli. I wanted to learn to make pate au choux. I would go work in a French bakery. So I had a lot of experience in restaurants. I had never had a restaurant in a destination tourist area that had a season, and I'm using air quotes again, season. Yeah. I'd never had that experience. So.
0: So this is also two thousand nine. This is eight? 2008, yeah. 2008.
1: So, no, this is now 2009, May 2009. So first Memorial Day, May 2009, we went from doing about 100 covers a night to doing 300, 350. So, I mean, 100 covers was a lot for us. We were really pushing ourselves at 100. Right. Doing 300 was obscene. Right. Like there was just... It was so different. It was such a different kind of experience. And I'd been in high-volume kitchens before, but not a tiny little kitchen with a tiny little staff with a completely made-from-scratch menu. Every single dish is made from scratch with a line. I remember my first night this happened, that Friday night. I remember looking down the kitchen and just seeing tickets all the way to the end of the kitchen, all the way to the end. There was no end to them. And still, I think servers had several in their pockets that they were just like, they didn't want to upset me anymore. And I'm like, how am I ever get through this? So that experience definitely uh, taught me a lot. But I look back over the last 30 years of cooking, and it's almost like a dysfunctional relationship, an abusive relationship in the restaurant industry. So now, having been out of it for two years, I look back and I'm like, why did I stay so long? I don't know. You know, it's addictive. It's passionate. It's this constant high, like just this constant high, like you're living on adrenaline all the time. And the times in between times that you're not living on adrenaline, you're living in creativity mode. So for me, it was like, boom, 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 you know, like just rushing, pounding 12, 14, 16-hour days. And now when I left... I look at how tranquil my life is. You know, I can spend a whole day just sitting at my desk writing and look up, and it's 5 o'clock, and I'm like, oh, where did my day go?
0: Yeah.
1: Where every single minute in the restaurant industry is focused and determined and hard effort.
0: Could so you, it's a
1: different world.
0: Could you do a restaurant? Do you, I, guess, I guess you're done with the restaurant business.
1: Well... You know, it's. It <laughs>
0: Did I just actually? Before yeah. I ask the dumb question, are you done with the restaurant business?
1: Yeah. So it, that's. that's. A, yes, I am. And I, every time I sneak into like fantasy mode where I want to, you know, I, I get an idea and I'm like, I want to do that. And I love doing concepts and I love doing ideas and I love doing menus and I, do, I love doing spreadsheets and I love doing, you know, like working out or like a cost analysis. I love that stuff. And yet, I also want to stay married, and I want to be a mother, and yeah. I want to stay home with my children. And my children suffered enough. Like, they really did.
0: When I, when, you know, I didn't always do hair. I used to actually be in the golf course industry. But mm-hmm. when, I've, I've, when I finally got into the hair business, and um, I worked for Drexel, who's kind of like a big restaurant of the hair mm-hmm. business. You sure. know, he's, he, he would be the, the extreme um, you know when i finally decided to open a hair salon i thought well i'm going to i need you know 10 chairs i'm going to need 10 stylists sure. i'm going to need all this you know uh, nails and facials and mm-hmm. massage and tanning i mean mm-hmm. you know give it all i need it this right. is what we need to do and uh you know 10 years later i really i i've whittled my salon down to sure. like four chairs sure. and you know they do chair rental and because i, I don't i can't i don't want that mm-hmm. but i also don't want to give it up you know I like I could I always think like as a, it'd be cool to have like a restaurant where you just seat ten people or something. You sure. make these kick ass little dinners. You're not making a lot of money, if anything. I guess you'd have to make something or it wouldn't be worth it. But but I don't think they make that version of of a. They restaurant. do in
1: other countries. It, yeah, in other countries they do a lot. Now I did corporate in restaurant industry. I, moved, I would work corporate, and I really didn't like it. And I realized that that was not my. That was not something I loved. So every restaurant that I really invested in or you know, put my time or energy in or cooked for was that type of style where it was completely focused on the customer, what that customer needed. I mean, our menu was gluten-free accessible, vegan accessible, dietary restriction accessible, allergy. I mean, we were one of the top restaurants in the country on allergy-friendly, right. which was... You know, it's really, really hard to do when you're making everything from scratch. You you can do that, but you talk about, you know, doing several hundred covers a night. It's really hard to make everything from scratch. Yeah. So if you're doing, you know, a 10 cover restaurant, yes. But like I saw that the restaurant next door to you was closed and I thought, well, maybe. And Roberta, who was my friend that I was visiting, <laughs> she's like, if you do that, I will kill you. <laughs> there is no way you're opening another restaurant
0: well and the, it's funny because honestly i and i it's weird because i look at that place and it's been it's 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 been closed twice mm-hmm. and people say well it's this bad location for a it's restaurant it isn't though it isn't it's no. a fantastic location it's a
1: fantastic location i'll tell you why first of all it's destination so people are coming to see you specifically and there's nothing wrong with that like if you have a following like i have over 10,000 people following me all the time and what I'm doing, and that's not a lot, but for me it's a lot. So I would not have trouble filling those seats. That's not an issue. You have parking. You have plenty of space, and the building inside is gorgeous. I mean, it really is lovely.
0: It's very cool, but yeah, but just because it's awesome doesn't mean that it's going to pan Asian restaurants going to work there, right? And that's you know that's where that ego starts to get involved and right. you start becoming because I said if you want to have success. You basically need to recreate an arenas, you know, where you, I mean, if I. Well, do you, though? Well, the, I think that, Sue, the, they're providing lunch. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of providing lunch, early dinner. I mean, the the thing, like, I couldn't go over there because it was all, like, faux bowls and, you know, these things. Um, Penny Balabun. Asian is pushing
1: the envelope here. Uh, I mean, we only have very few uh, Asian restaurants that do very well. We have Miyagi's. We have men's. Uh, we have Confucius down in Rehoboth that do the job really well and have a following, have a backing. Which the one? Way. Confucius. Yeah. I love I love Sean. Anyway, so it, it's it's difficult to make something like that happen here if you again do not have that following. You've got to have people that want to come to your restaurant, no matter what kind of restaurant it is. And that's I mean, when Jay was open here, he had that kind of following. But his menu, I think, was a little bit challenging for the space.
0: Yeah, well, there's a few things that were challenging Yeah, but I won't get into. <laughs> it. Um, well, I mean, so you went into cookbook.
1: Yeah, so I, I've written I, for a long time. I,
0: I, I will say I looked at this, mm-hmm. and I did not read it all because okay. it's huge. It's huge. It's huge, but I love it. Mm. I mean, what a great cookbook. And I love the cover.
1: So it's not really a cookbook, though. So it's a chef's memoir. And what it starts out is very, very early. It tells the stories of my life my life in cooking. Lots of stories aren't in there because they had nothing to do with food. Mm-hmm. So these are stories about food, about cooking, about growing up, being a chef. But again, when I was growing up, being a chef was not socially acceptable. It was not a, you know, a like rock star, glamorous celebrity kind of profession. It was very blue collar. It was very, you know, you cook, you smell bad, you're working with your hands. And I did not grow up in that kind of family. My family was very much a silver spoon, you know, nose up in the air kind of family. Right. And they did not want me to be that, that person, that thing. When I was young and I was cooking, that was fine. It was cute. But as I got older, it was like that was no longer okay. You had to settle down, marry, have kids. Or you had to do something socially acceptable like marketing or PR or be a lawyer or something like that. Not something where you worked with your hands and smelled like a kitchen wench every day. (laughs) That is
0: a great smell.
1: (laughs) There is nothing like it in the world. No, there is nothing like that.
0: Um, Yeah, so the... I guess that's a better word memoirs Memoir, because, yeah. and I and I like I said I did start reading some of it but it's one of the one of the things that I didn't realize in about sobriety. Sure. You mentioned sobriety in the book?
1: Well, I talked about sobriety in the and I want to clarify not alcohol sobriety because those people that know me know that I drink but I talk about being off drugs right. and I when I was in my early And that's a big deal. It is a really that's big a deal. It's a huge deal. And I you know this is something Matt and I shared quite a bit about um but in my early, late teens, early 20s, I got hooked on cocaine. I did so much cocaine over two years. Um, once two years was over, I went off and never touched it again, never touched anything again, really. Except for once, I took a pot brownie Uh-oh. because I was in pain. <laughs> That's a whole other story, and it's actually really funny. We'll have to um, schedule that another podcast <laughs> for the pot brownie. <laughs> the pot brownie story. But I have never taking drugs again. And I think that was one of the issues that finally burned me out about the restaurant business is our heroin epidemic is so spectacularly huge right now. And the combination of so many people being addicted to opioids and so many people being addicted to heroin. And there were times in the restaurant where myself, my daughter, and one of my other servers named Tommy were the only three people in the restaurant that were sober. And that's really, really hard. Yeah. And anytime somebody's not doing their job, I would have to step in and do it. And my daughter's amazing. Tommy was amazing. But there's only so much three people can do in a restaurant to run it.
0: Well, and you kind of get put, put over the barrel because it's like, yeah. listen, I tell you, if you come to work again, hi, again, I'm going to, you know, help. Because <laughs> you can't. <laughs> well,
1: you, you can't fire them. You can't fire them. It's the, of the summer and you can't fire them. You need them. You need a warm body at this, you know, wherever it is. And you're terrified about them using the slicer. They're going to put their hand through it. Oh, yes, that happened. And so many things. And yet you have to just keep plugging away day after day after day. And I remember the last year before I closed, I would wake up in the morning and I would lie in bed and I would just think, God, I don't want to go in. I don't want to deal with all of them telling me they're, quote, sick and they need to get, quote, medicine. And I just I can't listen to that one more day. I hear and you. I, I, I feel for these kids. I really do. I feel for them terribly, and yet, I couldn't be a doormat anymore. And I know I was a doormat. I know I was an enabler. I had to be. I had to be an enabler because had, I needed them there.
0: You needed, you needed the, the, the kitchen to run,
1: right? I did.
0: I was the same. That's kind of when I was in the golf course industry. I used to manage an odd group, you know, mm-hmm. and they would show up or didn't show up, and. You know, there wasn't much I could do because if they didn't show up, I did the work. Exactly. And, uh, well, that's a- why
1: I stopped doing breakfast. Because your <laughs> story about Matt and doing breakfast—our first year, we were open breakfast, lunch, and dinner—and I did not schedule myself for breakfast. I was only scheduled for lunch and dinner. And even with that, I still worked something like the first season. I worked 170 days straight without a break. But anytime somebody didn't show up for breakfast, I would have to be in at six o'clock in the morning, and I didn't leave till one, two o'clock in the morning. So that meant I got four hours sleep a night, and it just after
0: a while I just couldn't do it anymore. It was hard to get people to show up to do breakfast.
1: Oh, impossible! <laughs> the only time I could get people to show up is if they were in work release and they couldn't actually do drugs or drink, oh my or God. else they get thrown back in, you know, like heavy duty intensive jail. Or so or that's when release. I started. Well, that's when I started hiring work release, and I started working with Luis Lopez. Because he's like, these guys can't drink. You're good. And they would show up. They were the ones that show up. But the minute somebody got out of work release, they'd go right back to the drinking and the drugging. And that was it. Sayonara. Bye-bye.
0: I got, I'm got. i grateful to... Be, I got sober in... Initially, I got sober in 97. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, drank after seven years mm-hmm. and uh, just celebrated nine years again.
1: That's fantastic.
0: Yeah. But... You know, I can remember those days, you know, I can remember that lifestyle. It was, you either like were getting ready to want to change or -hmm. then you get, you know, some sort of trouble, you talk about change and then it's Mm -hmm. usually some sort of trouble and then you, you finally have to make a change. Right. And uh, luckily I did that and, and my life went straight up, straight up. Yeah. It was, uh, I was bouncing along the bottom for quite a while. So the, one of the exciting Mm -hmm. things that caught my attention when I was talking to you the other day was that you were talking about nutrition. I, um, I feel like I've lost my connection with nutrition. I've lost the purpose, you know, of what food is doing for me. You know, I get all this advice um, from people all around. You know, everyone's an expert. And I started doing something four weeks ago, and I call it just supper. Mm-hmm. And I just eat supper. Mm-hmm. And there's only one rule. I can't eat until 7. And I eat supper and really whatever I want until midnight. Right. After midnight, I can't eat until seven. And I feel amazing, and in more ways than just like what I'm eating. Um, I'm starting to understand what the food is doing for me again. Sure. Um, I'm starting to pay attention. So if I'm just eating one supper, you know, it's not going to be Taco Bell. Right. You know, it's going to be. Um, prior to doing this, you I wouldn't spend the next to thirty cents a pound on organic food, mm-hmm. but now since I'm only eating supper, I want really the best I can get. Right. Whether and I I don't you know I don't know anything about organics. The so most it,
1: bioavailable nutrients. Yeah. Right.
0: So, um, but I'm paying attention. It's more important to me. I'm more like when I eat dinner, I, you know, I try to get a few vegetables because I want what the vegetables have to offer mm-hmm. through you know vitamins and, and nutrients and stuff. Um, it's just been a big eye opener. I don't know if I would do it forever. Right. And I have a couple like Wednesdays, I usually pick up my wife for lunch and we go eat Arby's. So mm-hmm. I have a couple cheat days. But for the most part, it's kind of got me back on track. I was I was I was eating, you know, someone told me the other day, oh you should eat eight eight small meals a day. And I thought, well, when did we become so deserving of all this food? <laughs> when did we when did it make it so that I deserve to have all this food at my fingertips? Right. And I've learned that um, I eat a lot of food because I'm bored. Mm-hmm. I learned that food tr- is a transition for me. Like I'll finish a client and I'll just go back to the break room and I'll eat almonds. Right. Healthy almonds or something. Um, when, I, when I stopped, when I started the, the Just Supper diet, I was sad. It was a little depressing. Mm-hmm. I had had to break up with breakfast. I had to break up with lunch. <laughs> And you, like, like I said, I don't know if I'll do this, but have, do you know? Do you do you understand so, what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah.
1: So there's a lot of things you brought up, and I hope I can remember them all. I meant to bring a
0: piece of paper so I could make notes. The if, point was, I'm just going through some stuff, and right. I'm excited to hear about what you have to say.
1: So yeah, you brought up a lot of things. First of all, um, the most important thing is the art of eating with deliberation, and when we eat consciously, and I mean with the full intent of eating and nourishing our body and absorbing the nutrients, absorbing the food, and enjoying and appreciating the food and in the experience. That is a whole entire different type of experience than se- unconsciously eating. Like you went to the break room and you just shove almonds in your mouth and did you ever even taste those almonds? I mean, do you remember them? You don't probably. Right. So one of the things I would start doing with my cooking clients, um, I teach cooking classes, by the way. One of the things I do when I teach people is the first thing is to eat with deliberation. And we do meditations on you know, taking small bites and really savoring the flavors. And on my blog, which is chefgretchenhansen.com, There is, at the very, very beginning, you have to go back all the way to the beginning, there is a meditation on eating an orange with deliberation. And it's really, I mean, it's not a good podcast, but I did a recording and it has that meditation. And it's a really good way and exercise to see what that means. And how slowly and intentionally we need to be eating and focusing on what we're eating. So there's that piece. And what it sounds like you're doing right now is when you're eating dinner, you're eating with intention. You're eating with focus. You're eating with forethought and planning. You're thinking about what you're doing, what you're cooking, what you're buying, what nutrients are going into your body. It becomes not an unconscious experience, but one of conscious reflection. And anytime that happens, anytime we change our diet in that way, we're going to find ourselves much more alive. Because the food that we're eating then becomes a source of complete nourishment. Yep. It doesn't just pass through us, it becomes an active measure of our consciousness, our heart, you know, and all those different pieces uh, become filled. And so I encourage anybody, even if you eat eight small meals a day, every single one of those meals, to eat with intention, to eat with deliberation, to eat with planning and forethought. And I I certainly know that unconscious eating. I mean, I would do that in the restaurant here. I would be making fabulous meals for people that, you know, I'd talk to them about, you know, eating deliberately and eating consciously. And yet I would forget to eat. And then I would stand at the sink and like shove food in my mouth because I realized that if I didn't eat something soon, I was going to pass out. And that's exact opposite of what we should be doing with the basic sustenance of our life.
0: Well, and if I if I, if I told, when I tell people about what I'm doing, right away they say, oh, my God, I'd pass out. Oh, I'd fall over. I'm like, I don't think he would. And honestly, and I'll just speak for me, I thought the same thing. Sure. Especially, like, you know, I like to run. You know, mm-hmm. I'll get up in the morning, go run five miles. That would be a great excuse to make some killer oatmeal. Sure. You know, just, you know, steel cut, a little bit of honey, mm-hmm. maybe some uh, some blueberries, you know, all great. hmm but it would be a great a great excuse and one of the things that I the worst part was like especially like an oatmeal which I love I felt awful mm-hmm. after I ate oatmeal why <laughs> bloated Always bloated. My body just constantly felt bloated, especially right. with oatmeal. And maybe because I ate too much of it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I don't know what the portion is for a...
1: Portion is about a half cup. So, you know, sometimes it, it could be much. a cup. But it's not much. It's not and, much. I mean, certainly we overeat our portion sizes at all times. You know, everyone's overeating. And well, that's one of the things that, you know, when we talk about eating with deliberation, is how much you should be eating.
0: Well, and I don't know if I could learn about eating with deliberation unless I... Um, Hit bottom And I, you know I wouldn't say uh, I I felt like I hit a bottom Sure Before I made this change I really was I was I was working hard I was uh, You know, I was exercising I was trying to You know, eat healthy But I felt Absolutely terrible I was putting on weight Um, My stomach was distended I was holding my stomach in This lady's like You know, if you hold your stomach in It puts pressure on your curvature of your spine, so you tend Mm -hmm. to straighten out your spine. Mm -hmm. And she was explaining all this stuff. I'm like, oh, my God. And what's going to happen? You have no acetal. You know, you suck Mm -hmm. your acid, And I'm already struggling with that, so I'm like, I can't Mm -hmm. do that. So I just was at a bottom, and I said, forget it. And what I'm allowing, what happens, at least what I think is happening, and I've learned this also through running, is that when I'm hungry, if I'm really that hungry and I'm not bored or just a habit... I have fat on me. You know, if mm-hmm. it has to go, if, I'm gonna, if something's going to get eaten, it's this nice fat I put on my body. Uh-huh. It's filtered and clean and nice and stored away. <laughs> but that's kind of, to me, That's sure. this is what I have created in my mind. I feel like, you know, we get up, we gather, we hunt, we do whatever we do. And well, then at the end of the day, we eat it.
1: So you just brought up a very interesting point about we get up, we hunt, we gather, we do what we do. If you look at anthropologically... We were not meant to eat that many meals a day. No. No, we weren't. I mean, we would work all day to eat at night. Right. And our body is actually in tune to fast for long periods of time. And when you fast for long periods of time, which is what you're doing, you're e- you're eating from 7 to 12, which is five hours. So that means you are enforcing a fast for 19 hours a day. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. In that 19 hours a day, everything that you've eaten has gone has gotten used. Yep. But then you have several other hours a day that you're burning off the fat and the stores of the glycogen in your body that you have available to you. So not only are you feeling much more highly energized, you also are going to begin to get slimmer as time goes on and you're going to use up those leftover bits and pieces that you really don't need hanging on to your hips and thighs.
0: Well, and another interesting thing that I've found in, you know, not to be gross, but when you go, you know, when I use the restroom, it's usually after I eat my big meal, mm-hmm. like my body says, no, we're just going to, you know, we're holding on to everything. And then all of a sudden when I eat at seven, you know, it doesn't take too long, you know, before there's a, a cycle, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I'm like, okay, like I know what that was, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's just been very interesting mm-hmm. to me. Um... So I'm not doing, I'm not completely crazy.
1: No, you're not. No, it's actually, there's a lot of science behind the enforced fasting that uh, that shows that it's really actually very good for us. Well, but you have to be very focused on what you do eat in those five hours. So don't, you know, if you start eating at seven and eat until 12, you shouldn't be eating Twizzlers and popcorn and ice cream. You should be eating organic vegetables and organic grass-fed meats if you eat meat and you know, wild-caught seafood and the best possible quality of food that you possibly can.
0: Well, when I say five to seven, that doesn't mean I'm, I mean, seven Seven. to midnight, Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean I'm just constantly eating.
1: No, I I get that.
0: It's, and and this is, so this isn't a, uh, you know, this isn't a real diet, this is something Mm -hmm. I came up with, but it's based around the fact that I cannot stop eating Honey Nut Cheerios at about 9.30. Mm Mm-hmm. That's, I just can't give them up. Right, it's straight out of a bag. You know okay. they're not on milk, but that, so I had to build my whole diet around this snack <laughs> time <laughs> because I mean if I did if this was like just supper I mean just breakfast, but I get a snack at nine thirty. Right. it wasn't working, so that's right. why it's called just supper because right I can have like you said, um, and that's another question we've been uh, kind of dealing back and forth between grass and, and grain fed beef mm-hmm. and uh, but. You know, I have my dinner. I, you know, great vegetables, whatever, mm. and then a little snack, and then maybe a couple of cookies. But you know, I think at the end it's probably only like nineteen hundred calories total. Right.
1: My diet would be called just popcorn. <laughs> that's that's at, you know after dinner, it's we have this air popcorn maker that you make in the microwave. It's like totally cool. It's a it's not air popped, but you use very very little oil. Uh-huh. Use coconut oil. And you put it in the microwave and it pops. It just tastes amazing. It's like dry like air popped, but it has just enough oil. Anyway, I'm addicted to this stuff. Like I could literally eat popcorn from seven till twelve, and I wouldn't even pause.
0: Just butter, no plain, butter, salt. no just
1: it, just plain, just plain, totally plain. I love just it, just plain, absolutely love it.
0: We've been eating popcorn. Um, last week we were, it was the um, kettle corn. Yeah, well. I'm
1: sure everyone else in my family would like that.
0: <laughs> but Plain popcorn again. I have, to w-
1: I have to watch their sugar intake. I do not have a sweet tooth, unfortunately, for my family, so there's very rarely anything sweet in the house. Well, do you think it's f-
0: annoying or frustrating that sugar got us fat?
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. Sugar
0: got us fat. It, and well, all- and,
1: and they've been saying fat got us fat for so long that we've been saying no fat, no fat, no fat, and the reality is... The actual good fat is good for us. It's the sugar that made us fat. The high fructose corn syrup. Right. I and get emails from the high fructose corn syrup lobby all the time because I'm always bashing them. They'll send me emails showing me little, you know, like little cows prancing in fields of corn, and everything's fine. We promise you. Well, like sugar but, is the devil.
0: But when you look at it, you know, and I always say, you know, if it says fat free, that means fuel free. Change mm-hmm. the word fat to fuel. Mm-hmm. So let's say this sour cream is fuel free. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything is fuel free because that's what they've done. Sugar got us fat, and then now that we're fat, now we want to take all the fat out of everything, because apparently right. that's what got us fat. And now we're now we're well, if you, the ironic thing
1: is if you look at the fat-free everything, they've added sugar into it to make it taste better. So literally almost everything. there are a few yogurts that are an exception. But when it says fat- free, that means that they've added in sugar, yeah,
0: to exactly. have some
1: flavor, to make it addictive, to make you want it more
0: well, it's it's ridiculous. I get so annoyed and it's
1: hidden. Everywhere is yeah. like you really literally have to read every single label. I was addicted to my Starbucks vanilla soy milk lattes until they had to come out with what was in their soy milk. And then I see how many grams of sugar I have been consuming every day and blithely and like, Oh, I don't like sugar. I don't eat sugar. I'd never have sugar. And here I've been like a major sugar addict every morning for the last nine years Do you think
0: sugar, I mean, you know, they say, well, you can eat anything you want just in moderation, but do you believe that about sugar?
1: No, I really don't. I think that um, sugar is the exception. I mean, we can have natural sugars as in fruits and um, vegetables like sweet potatoes and butternut squash and carrots. We can even have, to some small measure, honey and um, agave nectar, but in very, very limited amounts. Our body was physiologically not designed to ever have a shutoff for sugar because, when you go back into the Paleolithic era, man would only rarely run across sugar sources, so like a honeycomb or a stand of berries, say. And what they would do is they would take all of it that they possibly could in, and then the body would store it, but it would get burned out over time. So it would like a very, very quick storage and fuel And remember, I mean, you you didn't have fat people back then. It wasn't like people were overweight because they weren't eating sugar. They were all working very, very hard, you know, working off their food, having to catch their food, having to grow their food, whatever they were doing, they weren't overweight. But that sugar source was a fat store that they could get, eat a lot of, and it would carry them through the lean times, as it were, like, you know, for periods of time. And so there was no shut off switch for that. And so we don't have that now. So everyone thinks that they can eat unlimited amounts of sugar because they crave unlimited amounts of sugar. It never tells you not to stop eating it, or never tells you to stop eating it. Right.
0: Well, there was there, I was watching a thing last night about nutrition, and this guy was saying that. So, is fruit fructose, fructose corn syrup? Is that just fruit or syrup made from fruit?
1: Fructoses, yeah.
0: Yeah. So anything with
1: an O's on the end of it means sugar.
0: So this guy was saying that fructose corn syrup is bad for you, but the sugar, the sweetness from an apple, the juice from an apple, is actually with a has a, a fibroid cellular particle that's with it in when you digest it that d- it prevents it from acting like sugar. And exactly. Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah,
1: absolutely. In was, fact, it's it's in the the naturally sweetened vegetables, the naturally sweetened fruits, all have this where. You know, you're not going to overdose on eating apples. Like eating an apple a day, or two apples a day, or even three apples a day is not essentially bad for you. The danger comes when we start juicing in that way. All you know, like a lot of people are juicing, juicing, juicing fruit juices every day, and they're they're drinking a lot of sugar in their fruit juices.
0: So, what you're saying that you need to have, you need the fibery (laughs) pulp, because like with the apple, exactly to prevent what sugar does. To prevent, um, I don't know how the natural sugars like more of a fructose sugar, right? Damage.
1: So yes, and I mean just to go off on a tangent here. A lot of people, when they first start juicing, they'll juice a lot of fruit and very little vegetable. Like they'll throw a cucumber in with three pineapples, a pear, and an apple because that tastes good, right? Right. But the reality is you should be using, you know, one pear to 16 cucumbers should be about the ratio. Just you should be like 10 to 20% fruit juice and all the rest should be vegetables.
0: My dad was going through this period where he's making these smoothies. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's on a diet, so he's making smoothies. And, and But, you know, he had yogurt and fruit and, mm-hmm. and milk and all that. I'm like, that's probably a thousand calorie smoothie sure. you just sure. made there. sure but it's a smoothie it's good for <laughs> but you. it's good for you <laughs> <laughs> so what so what's going on with you today i know we got your book which i i love the book yeah it's I, i'm
1: sort of cobbling things together right now so when i first started when i first closed the restaurant i had this thing where if i wasn't constantly busy i felt like i was wasting my time and you know it was it was really weird like i couldn't sit still I couldn't just be. And somehow through that I managed to write that book, but still I would like, you know, I would write for twelve hours a day. And, you know, I'd have this schedule, this insane schedule. And now and I, then I would write for magazines and I would do radio and I'd do television and I was just like going, going, going social media and blogging and going to conferences and talking to other writers. And now I am feeling much more quiet and I feel less need to do as much. I have finished two other books that are both in the editing process right now. One is a straight-up cookbook, no memoirs attached, um, straight-up nutrition cookbook. And the other is a novel, so no, no food at all, no cooking at all, just a straight-up novel. And so that's been really fun. It's been really delightful, and I've, I've taken the last year to write both of those books. And I don't feel the need to constantly be busy in any other way. So I do teach private clients cooking classes. Sometimes I'll do cooking demos. I'll still do some radio. I'll still do some television. But I've not felt the need to constantly be pushing myself forward like I've always done with my career. Like Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's commit to that. Let's do this. I find that I commit to a lot less and I do a lot less.
0: Do you have a favorite style of food? Like. Your yeah, go to. It's
1: like asking what's just my favorite child. Um,
0: well, I love Mexican. I grew up in yeah. Albuquerque. I'm yeah. you know, that's that's what I love.
1: So Mexico is my chosen home. I mean it really is. I grew up on the border and Where'd I, you grow up? At San Diego.
0: Oh I moved yeah. to I moved here from San Diego. Did you? Okay. Solana Beach.
1: Yeah. Del Mar Rancho Santa Fe. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So,
1: wow. Encinitas. (laughs) I went to Encinitas High School.
0: That's where I lived. I lived in in Lucadia. Did you really? Yeah.
1: How old were you? Uh, I moved here in
0: 94. Okay. Um, So I was probably 94. I I was probably about 25. Okay. I got arrested in San Diego. (laughs) 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 You talked about your job. I I was on meth. Is what I was doing in San Diego. And... uh, you know my life was in a lot I was in a, a, a lot of trouble, and I went to jail and my dad said you know you can you can come with us to Delaware. we were all living out there my mm-hmm. parents had a house on Solana Beach and or he said you or you can stay here and i said i I better go yeah, good for you it was I loved San Diego yeah, but it was not yeah, a lot
1: not to love yeah
0: It was a lot of I got a lot of trouble out there yeah I mean not trouble trouble, but I was headed towards trouble, yeah,
1: sure I get it. I get
0: I up. Cut, they I cut you off, sorry.
1: No, that's okay. Where was I? Oh, so I grew up on the border and I lived in Cuernavaca for a while when I was um, in my 20s. I've been back and forth to Mexico most of my life. I mean, if I don't go three or four times a year, I feel sad. I get off the plane, I cry. I mean, there's a wonderful story in there. It's called Mexico, My Mexico, and it talks about that love story with Mexico and the women the women in Mexico. I, I love the fierce women, the peasants in the market. And it's really where I learned to cook in Mexico is in the markets. So, um, so yeah, that's my chosen home. But that being said, I think probably my favorite cuisine in the world is something that I made up. It's called Global Ecofusion, which is takes little pieces from my travels around the world and sort of makes an amalgamation with different sort of jinky twists. And um, it's got a little bit of regional influence, but I try and keep local with my ingredients as much as possible. I love faux like I could eat faux breakfast and lunch and dinner, so there's that um, I love sushi we roll our own sushi at home all the time. Mm-hmm. The girls I love, love that yeah yeah it's hard I it's like you know like I said, it's like asking which is my favorite child, so whenever I feel. Whenever I feel sad or whenever I feel like I need something just to give me that burst of creative energy, I will go to a different country and sort of explore their culinary traditions.
0: Matt used to love, uh, he, well, he used to love Mexico. I mean, yeah. Papa Grande's. That yeah. was. Uh, I remember when he op- opened Papa Grande's and they had tripe. Tripe tacos. I was like, <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. That's not going to go over. <laughs> that's big not going to fly. Back. <laughs> He's like, oh, but that's what they do down in the, you know, the, yeah, the well, poor parts of Mexico. Yeah, the, the tripe the, stew, the hangover
1: stew. Yeah the, yeah, the
0: street, the street people. Yeah. Um, I, I we actually leave for Mexico on Saturday. Do you? Yeah, we're going to um, Riviera Maya.
1: Yeah, yeah, right by Playa de Carmen.
0: Is it beautiful? I've never yeah, it's been. It's very
1: beautiful. In fact, I can give you a zillion restaurants to go to there.
0: Okay. So I will
1: send you a whole bunch of links. And I have a lot of very good friends down there. So if you need anything, let me know.
0: We're we're just going to go. There's an all-inclusive resort, we're going to go stay. Okay. Breathless or something, I think. Okay. We're very excited. Yeah.
1: Do you know which resort it is?
0: Uh, It's called Breathless.
1: Breathless. No, I don't know that one. Breathless. Breathless. (laughs) Yeah, sounds very American. Yeah, it
0: sounds uh, <laughs> like we're gonna fit in perfectly. It's just
1: the two of you. Or you yeah, taking kids?
0: it's our honeymoon. Yeah.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah,
0: we're going for our honeymoon. Nice. So we're very excited. We were gonna. I, I love the Dominican.
1: Yeah,
0: but the DR. The we actually, you know, put a little plug in for this Jetset Travel that opened up next to um, over in that Camelot Strip sure. Mall. Sure, and where it is? It's been a, uh, a travel agent for a while, mm-hmm. and we went over there, and they were awesome. Yeah very you know if you were going somewhere that you weren't familiar with sure, she was very good sure. and she was actually like you know i think we can do get a better bang for the buck if we go to mexico really like,
1: better than the dr that's yeah. interesting
0: and she was great because like she put our vacation in and mm-hmm. then the next day she re-entered it and she mm-hmm. was able to upgrade us so she worked nice. hard at this little yeah. our little honeymoon so nice. i uh those gals over it
1: that's
0: great jet set travel they're great
1: <laughs> yeah so that's something else i've been doing is i've been um, setting up some trips to take people different places with sort of experiential but not jam-packed, if that makes sense. Yeah. So right now I'm looking at um, taking a group to Costa Rica for two weeks to explore the culinary traditions of Costa Rica.
0: I bet that'd be amazing.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to do some fun things with travel and food because that's, those are my true loves is travel
0: and food. Would you be um, open to coming back on my podcast? Sure, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you could come and talk about food. Sure. Yeah, I absolutely can. I mean, it's funny, we've started doing the podcast, and, and then I'm like, well, maybe I should have a podcast just only about food and nutrition. And
1: well, I'll tell you, I think so often the food radio shows and the food people, the self styled foodists, foodies, whatever, it's so negative. Yeah. And it's so nice to have people talk about food in a really positive way, where food is really, it truly is the way we love ourselves and love the people that we care for and nurture. So we shouldn't have this sort of glamorized profession that's negative and nasty and like, oh, can you believe that restaurant? Well, that sucked. And rather than saying just really positive things about one another and like the great things that, you know, different chefs can do and different restaurants do and, I mean, you know, life can be too negative. We shouldn't take the one great joy in our life, which is, and one great joy that we all share, is food, and turning that into something that's profoundly negative.
0: I abs I abs- absolutely agree. Yeah. You know, this little experiment I've been doing for four weeks is really, um, and like I even like I told you before, it's it's made me appreciate my fuel. Sure. You know, it's like. This is very important, especially if it's the only one I'm getting. Um, You know, I've I've become a new. I'm having a new relationship with my nutrition. And the funny thing is on Saturday we went, I cheated on Saturday, went to Arby's. Mm-hmm. After I ate at Arby's, I was just lethargic.
1: Well, okay, so there's a couple pieces to that, which you'd <laughs> mentioned Arby's and I wasn't going to call you out on it. Don't be you just on it, Don't be going negative it on Arby's again. now. You just brought it up again.
0: <laughs> Arby's.
1: Anytime oh. you go to a fast food restaurant, a place that is, you know, so many chains, so many restaurants, so many different, and, you know, it's got a standardized menu, you're looking at a a place to eat, that their food basically has to be pretty shelf-stable. And that means that there's so many processing chemicals in everything you're going to eat there. So when you have a roll, you're not just having flour and yeast, you're having flour and yeast and benzosorbate and da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da, you're having things that you can't pronounce, you can't spell it, you don't know what they are. And guess what? They don't belong in your body. So you've cleaned out your system a lot by not eating a lot of junk for a while, and you're starting to have the impact of... I I guarantee you, if you went 30 days without having any preservatives preservatives or chemicals, and then you went to Arby's, you would feel violently ill. Like, you really would feel physically sick because your body would have cleansed itself of all that junk, and it would have told you quite forcefully, I don't want that back. Now, most of us and I'm going to exclude myself here because I just don't eat fast food because that's my one rule that I stick to. But most of us will um, gradually add those preservatives and chemicals in over a period of time and our body just sort of gets used to it. But it continues to get more and more and more sluggish as time goes on. And that's why people in their 50s feel like they're in their 80s or people in their 60s feel like they want to die, you know, because it's, they just don't feel good. They're tired and they grow old before their time. I mean, there's no reason to not at 50 and I'm 50. So I consider Yeah, so there's no reason not to feel like you can't go out and run 5 miles or you can't go out and bike 50 or you know, you can't go pump with Scotty today at 24/7 or whatever whatever it's called now, you know, and do a pump class and like get out of there and go, "Wow, that was awesome. I feel like a rock star." Yeah. And that's what it should be. You should your body should feel like a rock star when you're really working it, really moving it, sweating. But then replacing that fuel with really quality food.
0: Yep, and that's what I've been. And I, uh, and I don't eat fast food. I cheated Arby's, and I you know, and and this last cheat really made me. I can't say I was also. I also got up at five thirty on Saturday because I thought I had a seven thirty client. I mean, mm-hmm. I was it was a few things. I was sure. wiped out though on Saturday, and I. I, you know, I had, um, I had Arby's and I thought, well, maybe that was part of it, but I don't Hungry, fast angry,
1: lonely, and tired?
0: Halt. Yeah. <laughs> well, those, I think those are, so you don't pick up a shot of vodka. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and it's got a, it, it's a good point though, because, I mean, think about you're doing this sort of the same thing to your body. You're, you're, you don't have the resources. You don't, you don't feel yourself. So you're doing things you wouldn't normally do. So would you normally go and eat a whole handful of chemicals and preservatives? No. Yep. If you wanted a roast beef sandwich, you would go get a really good quality bread that, wasn't, that was fresh baked that day, and then you would get a roast beef that wasn't filled with salt and preservative, and you'd shave it, and you'd make your own li- little horseradish sauce with, mm. you know, like little fresh ground horseradish. Horsey sauce? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I grow horseradish Nailed in my <laughs> garden <laughs> just for that reason. I love horseradish sauce.
0: Wasabi.
1: So Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, you know, you can eat just literally anything you want to eat as long as you make it properly. It's, it's the same thing I tell my daughter. It's like, if you want French fries, we'll make French fries. But we're not going to go buy them somewhere because that's not French fries. Those are processed potato cubes that have been dehydrated and then maybe you rolled know, in something but that's
0: you know the every everything we eat it has mul- to me everything is multifaceted mm-hmm. you know um right the french fries aren't the best french fries but you know it's that trip down to the boardwalk mm-hmm. you know or mm-hmm. it's that chatting with the sure. you know chatting with uh, you know someone down at the boardwalk when you go get the fries it's a whole And that's production.
1: a that's a whole different cuz that's point, sad. and you're absolutely right so you can't be 100% perfect all the time but shoot for about 90% That 10%, yeah, have the Thrasher's Fries on the boardwalk. Go to Grotto's, get pizza. You know, do what you want to do. Have that cheat day.
0: Well, and I also, you know, raising kids, I have three kids, and uh, I'm that dad. I get, not that all dads don't do this, but I get up every morning and I make my kids fresh Mm -hmm. breakfast. There is no, we don't eat cereal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's eggs, toast. um, Because I do, you know, I want to be a good example to my kids, and I want my kids to, you know, feel good. Now, they're growing. I'm not growing. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing, but mm-hmm. I don't eat breakfast. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't... I, and I may go back to it, but just this whole experience right. has really taught me everything that we've been, ta- sure. been talking about, just that whole new relationship and nutrition. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to screw it up. Sure. I want to be... How healthy. old are your children? Um, I have a six, I have a seven, and a 13.
1: Wow. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. And they're very, you know, they're... They're great kids. Yeah. You know, very lucky. They're not phenomenal in sports. In fact, none of them play sports. They play video games. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? They're yeah. good at it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's... My two boys, man, they're Minecraft. <laughs> they fight on Minecraft. Do they? Yeah, they have a great time. And I I, uh I don't get, you know, enough yeah. Minecraft and they step away. But yeah, they enjoy it. Hey, we, we did an hour. We did. Has it gone by already? It's been... Wow. <laughs> it's been an hour. That's what always happens. And I always feel like, did we talk about everything? Yeah. But... Yeah, I, th- I love that conversation. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, um, let
1: me just give people the name of the book because I forgot to do that. There is and no it's... limit.
0: You can talk for okay. another hour if okay. you want. <laughs> I'm just saying we reached an hour. If you please, say whatever you want.
1: So the name of the cookbook is the chef's memoir. Is when it's done, the making of a chef. Yeah, you're holding it up for me like I don't know what the name is.
0: (laughs) Well, we're going to take a picture. Uh, I thought maybe we could take a picture together and we'll hold up the book and then I'll post it. Cool. Uh,
1: So, and it's available on Amazon or you can go on my website and there's a link that goes straight to the publisher. Nice. Um, Yeah, I have a wonderful publishing house, which uh, it's Breaking Rules Publications. And it's a small publishing house. But I had been accepted at another publishing house, which was much, much larger. And it just didn't have the right fit. So, I mean, you know, it was just, this has been a wonderful experience, the whole first book. book. Well, yeah, writing the book was wonderful because it was incredibly cathartic because I've had a a pretty interesting life. I mean, there's been a lot of trauma and a lot of drama, and I talk about drug addiction, I talk about food addiction, I talk about, I, I don't think I get too into, well, I talk about my family of origin, I talk about a lot of the abuse that occurred in my childhood. And I don't go too in-depth with it, but I mean, I do talk about it. And it's an incredibly intimate portrait of, yeah, of dysfunction. <laughs> Intra- intimate portrait of my dysfunction. A friend of mine actually ordered the book, uh, pre-ordered it, and it came out. And he wrote me this incredibly long and very touching letter where he said, you know, I've known you for 20 years, and now I really know you. Like, I, I really know you and I love you even more for, for it. And that was a, a lovely testament to me. I mean, I, I don't know that people that don't want to know me would want to read this book. But it was a lovely testament to me about, well, you know, how it came across.
0: Well, you call it dysfunction. I, I call it growing. Yeah, sure. You know.
1: Yet another growth experience. Well, I mean,
0: you're I'm either growing or I'm not. And when I'm not, right. it's not good. Right. I mean, um, I've always felt that if you're not suffering, you're not living. And I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that, but mm-hmm. you know that's where I always say I can wake up on this beautiful bridge and stand up and look over and say, "Wow, that's beautiful." But if I have to run to it, I say, "Wow, this is beautiful." And goddamn, I can do anything I want to do. Right. And that's you know it's always that balance of self and humility.
1: Right.
0: right. Gretchen, thank you.
1: You are so welcome. It was my pleasure.
0: Thank you. And, and it reminds me, you know, I, I I might actually start doing guests that have have a purpose and aren't just here to shoot the shit. <laughs> like, oh yeah.
1: She has a book, sorry.
0: <laughs> so, I forgive me. I'll get better. That's
1: okay. Just go on the website it's uh chefgretchenhansen.com and it has a link to the book.
0: chefgretchenhansen.com. And I would say I'm going to put a link to this somewhere, but I don't know how. Yeah. Okay. So you do it. I will. Make it happen. I will. All right. Thank you so much. Please come back.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to be in Ireland for the next two weeks so I can come back and talk about Irish food. I'll oh,
0: I would love it. I would love it. I, you know, I, I'd love it if you came back every month. I mean, yeah. you know, I'd really appreciate it. This is so much fun. So thank Good. you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.